chapter number 11, and looks like everything's rolling. Mark chapter number 11, and uh, we're just going to go back into this little passage here, uh, starting here in about verse 20, 21, and just kind of work down through, and uh, just spend a few minutes looking at it, and uh, because this passage uh, becomes a very terrifying passage to people who don't understand how to rightly divide their word. Verse 20, And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall no doubt, and shall no doubt in his heart. I'm sorry, shall not doubt in his heart. I do have new glasses coming <laughs> sometime. Uh, but shall believe that those things which he saith will come to pass, he shall hath whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, Believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And again, this passage gets to be very uh, terrifying for people who don't understand the word rightly divided. And it's really critical to see where and what's going on in the context and in the passage. Verse 22, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. And it's important to understand that the Lord's response here is to the events of verse 20 and 21, where they see the fig tree cursed, the cursed fig tree dried up. Okay, and what now what happens is, is everybody pulls this out of its context. Is there something running? Or is that just my head? That might just be. Okay, wow, just like, man, my head. Oh, Okay, don't pull this out of context or go after the hum that's going on, all right? Leave it where it is because what happens is, is when you pull it out of the context, and again, the context is that withered, cursed fig tree, it's withered up, it's not producing fruit anymore, because what happens is, is they, they take this home, they pull it out of the context, and they say, see, whatsoever I ask, believing, no doubt, It'll happen, and then it doesn't happen. So now what's going on? So what happens here, verse 22, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith. So people, uh, they, if you don't rightly divide the word, this becomes the prayer life. And what happens is, is they begin to say, See, look, if you believe that God will do this for you, real faith, Whatsoever you ask, believing, he's going to give it, and you'll get it. And then in there, down in verse 25, there's the issue there about when you stand praying, forgive. So now we have forgiveness. And again, th this, is, <laughs> this is a tremendous passage here that gets abused. So what happens is, is what you, you come in, and, and you're praying, and you're asking, and it doesn't happen, so he didn't give it to me, so there must be sin in my life, there must be, I didn't forgive somebody, okay, and I didn't get, so I've messed up, and you know what, if you don't forgive, your father's not forgiving you, and that's conditional forgiveness, and again, if you don't rightly divide, the, all of a sudden now you're you you've just heaped a whole bunch of mess on you, and it, you know we don't the conditional forgiveness in verse twenty five and twenty six, and we'll get in down in there 
uh, probably next time, ha what happens is, is we don't live that way today in the age of grace. Actually, Colossians 2.13, we've been forgiven all trespasses. So when you're here in Mark 11, uh, you, you have to, you know, again, if you, if you pray it, that mountain will move, it'll move. But, but what happens when it doesn't, which is what the case is? I had a real good dear friend. He was in Tennessee, Chattanooga, at the, at the Bible college there. <laughs> and he's sitting there. He tells the story. He's sitting there one day by a creek. And he says, God, I don't want you to move Lookout Mountain. I just want you to move that little pebble. And it didn't happen. And it almost literally destroyed him because here he is reading the verses, claiming the verses. They clearly say what they say. And yet, I got a little sin in the camp, so I can't get it done, so I'm in trouble. And by the way, if this was really about sin, how many sins did it take of Adam and Eve to get kicked out of the garden? Just one. So if Calvary doesn't take care of all of them, then we might as well sell the buildings and go on a cruise or something. I don't know, okay? But, but Calvary does. So this, this isn't about being a sin here or any of that. So what, what's happening is, is when you come into verse 22, you're not talking about prayer the way it works today in the age of grace. And actually, as we go through this, we will begin to see that this is actually the little flock's prayer life, not even the apostate nation. So it's clear what it says. Uh, I don't, I'm hoping by the time we get through with this this week, next week, in this little section here, 22 to 26, that this passage won't strike terror in your hearts but rather you'll understand where we're at. And again, again, rightly dividing the word of truth is critical. Verse 22, And Jesus answering saith unto them. So the them here is Peter and the apostles. They've just, think about what's happened. He's presented himself. He went into the temple, the heart of the nation, looked around, didn't see anything good, leaves, comes back the next day, sees the fig tree afar off, a lot of leaves, no fruit, curses it. Goes into the temple, throws out the commercial apostasy and the commercial abuse, and then throws out the religious apostasy, cleans it out. Then on their way out of town, Peter says, verse 21, Hey, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered up. And what does he say? And Jesus answering. So that's the context of this. This isn't just any, the prayer promises. And again, it's not us today. This won't work today. I had a, I had a, we had a neighbor two door, three doors down when we first moved into our, our neighborhood. And she was a big Benny Hinn lady. And she was going to Mexico City, her and her mom, to get healed. Because if I ask, if I seek, ask. Ask, seek, knock. She's doing it. Bam. She came back worse than she did when she went. So I asked her, I said, what happened? And she gave me the whole thing. And I, and I said, but it didn't work, did it? And she's like, no. And I said, well, in Scripture, and we went over some healing verses and stuff, and that made her even madder at me, which is okay. But why didn't it work? Obviously, it's in Scripture. It's right here. It's just not dispensational. So what does he say? It's, and again, it's clear here. What's he say? Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he, sh he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. It's clear. And again, people do believe, earnest people, well-meaning people, 
And what are they out there doing? They're out there claim, naming it and claiming it, waiting for this to happen. And again, if you don't know how to rightly devise God's word, this passage will bring great heartache to you because it's not going to work today in the age of grace. And again, your Christian life does not, will not operate on the basis of ignorance. And it will not operate on you trying to do something and have some things come up that just aren't going to happen. So what do you got to do? Just relax, be who you are in Christ, relax in the, uh, the attitude of grace and grace life and learn and understand what's really happening. So we're understanding what's going to happen here in this passage really allows us to then enjoy it and reap the benefits of understanding it. So, uh, again, you get a lot of, I think about, you know, now you got the issue of doubting. And so now we're afraid of doubting. Do we doubt? Do we do, you know, and all, so then all of a sudden now you're on this turmoil and terror. And again, this passage can be very dangerous to your spiritual health and your spiritual confidence. Because if you're trying, if you're, if you if you trust God, that if you trust a God that doesn't do what He says He will do, then what good is He? Ultimately, what does He say here? Whatever you ask, believing, not doubting, I'll give it to you. But yet here you and I roll up, we do this. And he doesn't happen. So you know what then they say? Well, the answer is yes, no, or maybe. Yes, no, or not, maybe not today. You know, why? Because you got sin, you got death. There's none of that here. So if you're using a method of study that makes him say something that he isn't doing or saying today, then what really the question is, is what good is that method of study? So coming in and understanding right division in this, and applying it then to this passage is tremendous. All right. Uh, verse 20. Again, after, and, and in the morning as they pass by, so after the events uh, of, uh, of verse 12, the, the, the come being presented, the cursing of the fig tree, the cleaning out of the temple. If, if you look back with me at uh if you look there at verse 11, and Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out into the Bethany with the twelve. So he's actually talking to the twelve. Uh, if you come back to Isaiah chapter 5, um, I don't remember if we looked at this when we went, went through here. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, here's what he's doing. When he goes into the temple... The heart of the nation. He's looking for something. He's looking around to see. Isaiah 5, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. So here's the vineyard, the nation. He's in there looking around. He's in the heart. And what is he looking for? He looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. So he's looking for justice, for judgment, and he's finding injustice, corruption, troubling, the commercial corruption of the money changers and everything, for righteousness, but behold a cry. He's in there looking for righteousness, the righteousness of God, them worshiping me, and he's not finding that. He's finding that empty, vain, religious system. So when you come back to Mark 11, what is he looking at? He's in Isaiah 5, 7. That's what he's doing in 11, 11. And when that is the case, he goes out. They see the, cur the uh, Mark 11 here, verse 14. And Jesus answered and said unto it, then this is the fig tree. It's got the leaves there. And he says, no man shall eat of thee hereafter forever and his disciples Heard it, And again, the fig tree, the picture of the religious life of Israel, the Mosaic covenant, that old covenant, uh, they've pulled, they took the pure religion of God, 
and they turned it into the Jews' religion, Mark 7. They're in the traditions of men, and they've made the word of God of none effect. And what's he do? He goes in there, and he curses the old. It's done. It's going away. Verse 20, they, he goes in. He cleans out the, uh, the temple. Verse 21, And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou curseth is withered away. Nobody can eat of that fruit anymore. Its fruit-bearing days are over. By the way, it's also immediate. This doesn't wait a week. It doesn't wait 10 days. It's, it's the next morning. He's just cleaned out the temple, verse 20, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. It's the very, this thing is immediate. So I, I think we looked last time. Come over with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. I think we looked in chapter 8 last time, but this issue here that's happening. So the mo- so at this moment in Mark 11, as the Lord is about three, four days out from Calvary, the old covenant, the Mosaic system is over. Now he's going to go to the cross and he's going to shed the blood of the new covenant. The new system is going to be established. So we, that's where we're at, picturing, that's where we're at prophetically, that's where the whole thing is moving. Hebrews chapter 7. By the way, in, script, in, in the New Testament, you have three books that are transitional books. Matthew is a transitional book from the law and the prophets. Now the kingdom of God is being preached. So the law and the prophets were until John... And now it's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and everybody's pressing into that. So they didn't do away with the law and prophets. They're just no longer the only information. So we've got this movement here. Then you come to the book of Acts. Acts, you start with Israel and you transition into Paul, the dispensation of grace, the body of Christ. Hebrews is the other transitional book. But Hebrews isn't moving from Paul back to Israel Hebrews is moving from Old Covenant to New Covenant. And, the, he's, and so we're moving from the Mosaic condition to a better condition of the Messiah, Messianic, the Lord. In Hebrews 7, just look here at verse 18. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitability thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh. See, the law did what? It made nothing better. Okay? The old covenant didn't get it done, but we got a better hope. We have something new. God's doing away with the old so that we can have a what? A disannulling of the commandments. Why? So we can have a better that's coming. Chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. See, we've got a better, better, better. For, fi- for if the first covenant had been faultless. Notice, if it had been faultless. It was faultless. It wasn't able. The law made nothing perfect. Verse 19, chapter 7, verse 19 says. Then should no place, 8, 7, have been sought for the second. So if the law... did anything good, we'd have never needed the second. But the problem is, is the law never did anything good. The law condemns. That's all it does. The law says you're guilty. You're guilty. Thou shalt not. You're guilty. You can't do it. You're guilty. You're a loser. Guilty. You know, Captain Big L. I guess the other way. You know, right? That's what the law does. That's why James says if you offend in one, you're guilty of it all. You can't get it done. Verse 8, For finding fault with them, he saith, 
Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Very clear who this is with. By the way, that's why everybody wants to be spiritual Jew. Because we can get into that covenant relationship with God. Well, being in the age of grace and in the body is a better deal. Sorry. <laughs> okay? By the way, Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 says that you and I were, the Gentiles were never part of the covenant agreement. We were alien, strangers from the covenants of promise and so forth. So what do we have? Well, verse 8. Uh, verse 9, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. Here's Jeremiah 31, 31. There's the new covenant. In the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people." And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. There's the new covenant, verse 13, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away so what are we doing they're moving from the old to the new that's what they're doing and by and that's where we are in mark 11 with the cursing of the fig tree he's he's gonna he's moving them and he says i'm gonna do this to you i'm gonna do for you what you can't do what that law never allowed you to do i'm now going to to do it. Now, look in chapter 10 of Hebrews and look at verse 9. The Lord's talking here. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. The first, the old covenant, the mosaic, gone, the fig tree, cursed. So that we, what can we do? We can establish the new covenant. Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So there shoots the mass idea from the Roman Catholic Church that it's a perpetual thing over and over again. No, it's done once for all. Okay? Verse 11, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Look at that. The old didn't work. He did. He went and worked, and his work, it's done. We don't have to redo this over and over again, guys. We're moving from the old to the new. Verse 13, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. That sounds like Acts 2. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You don't need the sacrifice anymore. Calvary has taken care of it all. And you keep reading and you, and you see that. Now go back to Mark 11. So in Mark 11, what he's doing here to, in talking with the apostles is he is demonstrating the fact that the old is being set aside and the new is being brought forth. And Christ is on his way to Calvary. Here we're, like I said, about three days out. He's going to go in. He's going to die. He's going to shed his blood for, for the remissions of their sins. That's what he's doing. That's what Romans 9 says. He died for his people. And he's getting them ready, conditioned to go forward. But they don't. The apostate nation is just total in total apostasy, <laughs> thus apostate. Okay, so Peter sees the cursed tree, and again, it worked overnight. It's finished. Again, there's it's just fascinating in verse twenty one, and verse twenty, and in the morning, Mark eleven twenty. It's not like we again. He's not waiting forever. It's it's that quickly. 
Now, what's going to happen here, if, by the way, if you drop down to verse 27, in 27 to the end of the chapter and really on into chapter 12, we're going to see different groups of leaders come, of Israel come, and they're going to attack him. And what that's going to do is it's going to demonstrate the ultimate hatred that the, that the nation as a totality has for him. And they're going to come. And uh, he's going ha- to deal with them. But before that, what do we have? Well, we have this wonderful exhortation here between the Lord and the apostles. And he says, verse 22, And Jesus answered and said un- saith unto them, Have faith in God. That is such a simple but yet very profound statement here. Uh, uh, hold on here. Go back to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. It, it's in, for Israel to say, have faith in God, well, you've got to kind of have to pay attention to what, what's happening here. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Wonderful verse here. Hebrews 11, 6. And it actually ties into what we're going to be doing, talk about in Mark 11. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith, it is, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Well, what did he just say? Have faith in God. Okay? And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So without faith, it's impossible to please him. And then he says, and, and again, Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God. And in Mark eleven, he goes and tells them about prayer, you know, to pray, and what you know, if you ask, it'll be given to you. But in Hebrews eleven six, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Prayer is them diligently seeking him. And I know sometimes we like to use eleven six and. If you just seek him, he'll, he'll reward you. But that's, that is wrong. That's not what the passage is talking about. The passage is talking about, it starts with believing. It's faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10. There's a reason why that verse is in Romans 10. As Paul's dealing with the dispensational uh, impact on the nation of Israel. So to have faith in God is to go in there and believe what God's telling you. Believing the word of God. It's not I believe that there is a God. The devils believe there's a God. It's rather it's I believe what God is telling me. And then I'm going to come and pray because that's what he's telling me back in Mark 11. Go back to Mark 11. And I'm going to come and pray, and you know what he's going to do? He will reward me because I'm diligently seeking him, Hebrews 11:6. So what happens here, faith, when he says have faith in God, here is what God says, and I believe what God says. Somebody asked, so I heard, well, this has been years ago. I don't get too many of these crazy ideas anymore from people, I guess because I dealt with them over the years, but I had a guy say, well, what does your faith say? What does your faith say? My faith says the verse is right. And go quote a verse. See, I learned the trick from dad. Go quote the verse. What does your faith say? My faith. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My faith says is that what God says is true. See, and the, the, so is what God's word, what does God's word say? Let's find that out. Let's believe that. So when he looks here at 11.22 and he says, have faith in God, what he's basically saying is, look, guys, now, again, three times he's already told them, I got to go to Jerusalem and die. They didn't get it. They don't understand it. They don't believe it. They argue with him. He rebukes them. They, they argue. They, and the last time, they didn't even ask questions. They just, well, okay, he, this third time he said that, let's just keep moving. He's nuts. What, what he's saying here, guys, and think about this. They just see him go in on the donkey, 
the baby donkey. They see him go in, clean out the, uh, they see him go in, look around the temple, come out, curse the fig tree, go back in, clean it all out, the temple all out, come out, and then they say, basically he's saying, guys, just trust God. He's got a plan. Trust God's plan, guys. Things are going to change. Things are changing. I'm going to go die. You see all of this going on. And you just need to simply trust what God's plan is. Because the nation's problem was a heart problem. That's why they're in that vain religious system. Come over to Mark 7. Quick here. Mark 7. And he's looking at the disciples and he says, look guys, you guys need to just have faith in God. Just trust what God's word says. Look at Mark 7. Look at verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, why walk not thy disciples according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, well hath Isaiah prophesied. So here's Isaiah. Of you hypocrites, as it is written. <laughs> what does Isaiah say about you guys? Well, you're a hypocrite. But watch, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What's their problem? They got that fig tree with all the leaves on it. They look good. They smell good. There's just no life there. There's no faith. There's no fruit. Howbeit in vain do they worship me. That's where the vain religious system thing come, uh, comes from. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Vain, empty worship, totally useless. When he goes into that temple and he's looking at the heart of the nation and he's looking for that righteousness and rather there's just a cry, he sees no one's worshiping me. Then he says... For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and pans and many other such things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Verse 13, Making the word of God of none effect through your traditions which ye have delivered, and many such things do ye. The whole problem was the, their heart wasn't for the word of God. It was for all the other stuff. Have faith in God. Trust what the word of God says. By the way, he's the word, isn't he? He's been telling them. He's been trying to show them. They just won't get there. So he tells the apostles, let's trust what God's word says. Don't get out there and trust all that other stuff. Okay? Now, Get John 14, Luke 22, and Mark 11. John 14. A couple, some passages here with similar context, similar timing. John 14, he's in the upper room. He's, it's the night before going to, to the cross. John 13 through 17, 16, 17, it's the Lord's Prayer as he goes out into the garden is all in the upper room. I, it always fascinated me when I hear people say to new believers, read John, it's a great book. When three quarters of the book is not even written to anybody but the 12 apostles in the upper room. It's a great book of love and God love. And yet, you, when you read it and you study it, 13 to 17 is all the Lord talking to no one else but the 12 in the upper room. Doesn't make sense why that would even... You're not on their minds at all. Where's he going? He's going to Calvary. 14.1. John 14.1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. How do you get over heart trouble? You believe in God. Okay? If you come over to chapter 16 and verse 33... 1633, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
What's going to happen, guys? We're going to go out here now, 17. I'm going to die. You guys are going to face trouble. Where do you get your peace? Where do you get your comfort from? Believing me. Believing my word. Okay? Come over to Luke 22. Luke 22 is the day before he dies. Luke 22 is uh, the day before. Luke 22, verse... 31, 22, 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, so he's talking to Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, notice thy faith. Notice the pronouns there. <laughs> In verse 32, but I have prayed for thee, Peter, that thy, Peter, faith fail not, and when thou, Peter, art converted, strengthen thy brethren. But look at verse 31. And I said, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, the plural, the group, to sift you as wheat. The plural, the group. You see, Satan is after the little flock. He's after the apostles. He's after the group. I prayed for you, Peter, per individually, personally, because you're the leader of the group. And what I want you to do, Pete, is be strengthened so that you can go out there and strengthen the, the brethren. And so you can have your faith and your confidence in the word of God that's been given to you, Pete, you, thee, Peter. Get it ready. Get it together, Pete. You're the leader. You go and do. Why? Because Satan's after you. So when you come back here to Mark 11, again, we're about three days out, roughly. What does he say? Jesus answered them, saith unto them, have faith in God. The issue here, ultimately for the apostles, ultimately for the little flock, is believing the plan and the program of God that God has just for them. Do that. Then he says, verse 23, and I have a, my note here, read slowly. <laughs> because this is a verse that strikes, because what happens is, is everybody skips context, they skip 20, verse 22, and they jump right in here, because now I've got this prayer promise that I get and get, you know, it's like God's a vending machine in the sky and we dump enough faith quarters in him. He's just going to rain down blessings. And then when it doesn't happen, now we go over here and get on the guilt trip of, oh, maybe I got sin in my life. Maybe I didn't forgive, you know, Sister Susie. Maybe I didn't do this. Maybe I didn't. And, and now you're on a trail. And this isn't you and I at all. This is very specific, whosoever. Verse 3, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, Believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And again, conditional forgiveness. We don't have that. And there's a reason why forgiveness is here, and we'll get into that. Uh, whosoever, anyone, whosoever, no doubt, whatever you ask, believing what's going to happen, man, you're going to get it. And what do we do? Come over to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Well, the problem is, is it doesn't work today. So what's happening here? <laughs> Matthew 7, verse 7. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, 
by the way, this is a, uh, well, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And this gets to be a key prayer passage, a prayer promise. And they use that acronym ASK, A-S-K. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and it will be opened. Knock, you know, find, open, ask, give. So off you go. Verse 8, for every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man there... Now, watch, watch the application. Or what man is there of you whom, if he, his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to have good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give him good things to them that ask him? Again, wonderful passage and great sentiment for them. But it doesn't work for today. And what are they doing? They're, those prayer promises are very specific, very, 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 very uh, select in where they're at. Bread and a stone, fish and a serpent. I, I think about that. All that's tribulation, period. All that's trouble coming. So what happens then is, go back to, well, come over to Matthew 21. Here's the parallel passage to Mark 11, Matthew 21. And again, what happens is, is we ha- today they develop all of the excuses. You don't have enough faith. You didn't forgive. You got hidden sin. Always impressed me. <laughs> you know, you, got, you're, you have hidden sin. Like God didn't know. I mean, he looked at Adam and Eve. Where are you? He knew where they were. He knew who told them they were naked. You know, he's like, boy, I can hide this one underneath the fig leaf. Nobody will see it. He sees everything. Matthew 21. Did I tell you that? Matthew 21, 20. Here's the parallel passage. 21, 20. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? See how quickly that happened? Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. There it is. Believing what? Have faith where? In the message that God has given you. If you're right here where you're supposed to be, guys, no matter what you ask, no matter what you seek, whatever you knock on, it's coming your way. The problem is, is what's what's happening in the nation? Where are we at? Come back with me to Jeremiah 29. Just notice where we're at here. And why this stuff isn't working for them in the moment, okay? Because the, the reason that God wasn't answering their prayer requests, because he doesn't here, he just says you're going to be able to, is because of the condition in Israel. Look at Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. So Jeremiah, it's before, right before the Babylonian captivity, they're going to be taken. Well, where are they? They're in the land. What's he promising them to do? I'm going to bring you back to the land. Now watch verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, and when ye shall search for me with all your heart. There's Matthew 7, ask, seek, and knock. 
But notice when is he going to answer their prayer request. Verse 12, Then shall ye call upon me, and shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken. When is he going to do that? Well, verse 10 says what? I'm taking you back to the land. I'm going to restore you. So when he restores Israel back into the land, then he's going to do what? Answer those prayer promises that he's given them. By the way, who does he restore back into the land? Believing Israel. Not apostate Israel, but believing Israel. Verse 14. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. But he, by the way, he's going he's gonna to put back in the land, in verse 13, those that seek him and find him and search him with all their heart. That's that believing remnant. That's that believing element. That's why in Acts, when we get over into Acts 6, they say the multitudes are so great. Every tribe of Israel is represented on that day in Acts 6. They are ready to go in. That believing element is there. They're sitting right on the precipice of going into the 70th week of Daniel and the tribulation and the purging out of that apostate nation and the cleaning out of the, the dross and the rebel and all of that stuff. They're right there, ready for Stephen to see him standing and coming back. They're right there. The whole of the nation is represented in that new, that little flock. And yet he interrupted the program with us today, and we're thankful for that, okay? All right? But look at verse 14. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. I will turn away your captivity. Now, why are they in captivity? Fifth course of judgment, their sin, they've been carried away. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whether I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. When's he going to do this? He doesn't do it until when? Until he restores them, and then he's going to answer every prayer. He's going to answer all of the desires of their heart. Come over to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. You see, what the Lord is doing here in Mark 11 with the apostles is he's not promising them, okay, and in 10 minutes, if you go around the corner and ask for a big pizza pie, it's going to pop up out of nowhere. He's not at, he's getting, he's training them, getting them ready for them to operate and function in his absence and the authority he's giving them. Peter as the head, the 12. The, the 11, they've got the quorum issues. All of that's been established, and he's getting them ready. I didn't eat dinner tonight, so a piece of pizza sounds good right now. I think Barrows is on the way home. Isaiah 59, 59 verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not, notice, hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongues have mur uh, murdered, muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They have uh, cockers eggs. And, off, and on and on you go. Look at the, their sin. Look at verse 13. In transgressions and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, convincing and uttering from the heart, I'm sorry, conceiving, and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Again, they've got a heart problem. And that's why God won't, wouldn't hear them. He will not hear them. And when that happens, that's where we're at in Mark 11. Uh, one other passage. Look over at Proverbs. Proverbs 1. Proverbs chapter 1. 
Proverbs 1. They don't have, their sins got them, their words of falsehood got them carried away into captivity. And he ain't listening to them. He's not hearing them until he's going to bring them into the land. But what did he tell Daniel? 70 years was up. Daniel's ready. Daniel 9, he does the national confession. He does everything what Leviticus 26 says for them to do. He's ready. He's pleading the case. Gabriel shows up and says, time out. we got 490 years. Okay? And this is what's going to happen. Now, they're under that fifth course of judgment, Leviticus 26, and we're going to drag this thing out, and the Gentiles are going to run the show from here on out, as they already have been, and here's what... And you know what happens? It just slowed way down. He's still not listening, hearkening. Why? Because that nation is falsehood of words, words of falsehood. Proverbs 1, verse 24, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regardeth. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your, when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Wow, that's wonderful times, right? Then shall they call upon me. What are they praying? Ask, seek, and knock. They're doing it. And I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For what they hated, I'm sorry, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. They chose wrong, no faith. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices for the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whosoever hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. So when you go back to Mark 11, under, understanding what's happening here is he's telling that believing remnant, the little flock, the 12 specifically, you're going to go through a time of trouble And what you need to do is you need to have faith in God, believe his word, trust his word, and that will protect you and preserve you on into the kingdom. And again, that's why verse 23, for verily I say unto you, that's Peter and the apostles, the group, the little group there. Again, the picture, what's he been doing? He's been in there, he's corruptions, he's cleaned it out, Isaiah 2, he's done that, he went up to that and so forth, and you know what, Look, notice something, look over at Isaiah 2, I'm sorry, it just, Isaiah 2, verse, in Mark eleven twenty three. verily I say unto you, that, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, he was just in the temple, cleaned it out, the mountain, if you say to this mountain, be removed, that's not, he's not made, the pictures here isn't superstition mountains, the rock. It's, he's talking about that temple. Isaiah 2, verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. Daniel 2, 44, 45, the whole goal of prophecy. But the mountains in Scripture come back to Mark 11, are a reference to nations and kingdoms. In in Revelation, there's seven hills, okay? That isn't geography hills. There's seven. Uh, Five were, two are, and one is to be, or something, you know, what is it? No, five and one and one, something like that. Five nations that persecuted Israel in the past, they're done. One right now in place, Greece, Roman, Greco, Greece, and in one to come, the Antichrist. And he's talking about nations. He's not talking about geography. So what do you have? You have, hey, if you pray that you want that mountain to be 
And he says, uh, Mark eleven twenty three, say unto this mountain, that apostate system, he just was in the temple. And he says what? Be removed and be thou cast into the sea. The sea in prophecy, Revelation 17, is nations, the Gentile nations. So the apostles are going to say to that apostate leadership what Stephen said in Acts 7.51 you are uncircumcised in hearts and ears. And they are going to take you, they're going to take that apostate nation, and they're going to declare it to be spiritually cut off. Now, physically they got it, but spiritually they are toast. They're done. And they're going to literally take that over there, and they're going to cast it into the nations, into the Gentiles. In Acts 7, when he declares them, uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Genesis 17 says that the uncircumcised man-child is cut off from the, from the land. He, they are declare, Stephen is declaring the nation of Israel as heathen. That's what they're doing. That's what the Lord's saying here. You guys, you 12, when you're in the middle of the time of trouble... You're going to be able to look over there, and you're going to say, take that apostate nation, that apostate vain religious system, and just deliver it to the dogs, the Gentiles. And you know what? I'll do it. Because you're right where you're supposed to be. You're doing what God's word says you're going to do, and off you go. Then he says there in verse 23, and be thou removed. We're going to see in Mark 12, the nobleman, where he sends his son over and they kill him. They kill his son. And remember when he asked the noble, he asked the guys, the Pharisees there, uh, chapter 12, verse 9, What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard unto others. Have, and have ye not read this scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? You go over there to Matthew 21, and you know what he says? He goes, I'm a, we're, going to take the nation, we're going to take the kingdom from you, and we're going to give it to a nation producing the fruits thereof. And two verses later, they say, you know what? They perceive that he was talking about them. That This is why. They're going to be able to do that. He's going to take the authority from the apostate nation. He's going to give it to the little flock. And they're going to be able to go over there and act in his absence, act on the authority of the Messiah. They're going to be able to do. They're going to look over there, and they're going to be able to claim and say, remove this. Why? Because he's coming back to establish it. Now, in the moment here, He's not answering that. He's training them here in Mark 11. But where's he going? Again, we're three days out from Calvary where he's going to die and be buried and resurrect and ascend. And 40 days later, the ascension happens. Buried, death, burial, and resurrection. 40 days later, the ascension happens. And now they're on it for a year to get everything in place because, well, who's coming? Here comes the Antichrist. Here comes the rest of the prophetic program the tribulation, the day of wrath, the great tribulation, all of that's coming through, and they got to be ready, okay? Now time is up, <laughs> way up. But the thing is, is, this isn't you and I, okay? This is Israel. Now, real quick, so you don't think leave you hanging, come over to Romans 8, because this is us. Here's how we pray today. Okay, look at Romans 8, verse 26. And I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of crazy ideas about this, and it's honestly a bunch of foolishness. And the grace people who teach the foolishness ought to just be quiet until they understand it better. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Now, ain't that the... (laughs) That's where we're at, isn't it? We don't know what to pray for, as we ought to know. 
We don't know how to ask for it. We're not looking to seek and to knock. That isn't us. By the way, notice the Spirit also, what? Helpeth. Doesn't say does it for us. Doesn't say gets in, intervenes in there and works it out. He says he helps it. He doesn't say he does it for us. He works with you. The infirmities, that list starts back up in verse 16, 17, you know, the spirit, verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. Verse 18 and following, there are the infirmities, the physical issues of living in a sin-cursed creation. What's he doing? When you pray, this is why the prayer life for a grace believer, a right, understands right division, is so critical. Because when you pray, prayer is just talking to the Father about the details of life and how to take his word and apply it to the details of life. But when you pray, what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's reaching over there, grabbing that verse and helping you apply it to the details of life. He reaches over and energizes that verse. That's why reading three chapters a day, as simple as it sounds, is so critical. Because it gets that verse in there. I walk every day about three, four miles. Okay? And on my little iPod, or my iPod, my iPhone, excuse me, my iPod died, so I had to figure out the phone. I bought the uh, Read the Bible. I, it's not Alex Scorby. That was way too much money. But it was one of the other. And I just, and all I do, I just listen as I walk. Now, I can't read because, well, I could. I'd fall in the canal if I did. Then, then I'd be on the news. That'd be really cool. But what do you, you just listen. Why? Because what happens is, is things get into your head. They get into your thinking. How does he help? He helps. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he, that's God the Father, that searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he, the Spirit, maketh intercession for the saints, now watch, according to the will of God. How does he make intercession for us? According to the will of God. Well, where do we find the will of God? In his word. Oh, amazing, isn't it? You know what happens? They get this little hoodly-doo thing that you, what you do is, you shoot a prayer up there to God the Father, and midstream up there, the Spirit grabs it and abracadabra, shim, sham, bam, changes it into the will of God. That's not in that verse, those verses at all. And I know what they use. They use the end of verse 26 with intercession with, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Well, that is nothing about changing your prayer mid-sentence or mid-up. <laughs> okay? He takes his word, you take his word, have faith, you believe his word, you put it into it. The Holy Spirit comes along, takes his word, and applies it to the details of life. And your life then is energized. You see, folks, our life today in the age of grace is the stage where we do the will of God, not where we discover it. We discover it in his word. Okay? What's the will of God? He would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But then, it, but there's other verses. In, I just had the verse and it slipped my mind. Hang on. 1 Thessalonians 5. This is a great little verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. You see, as we look at life, and, what, and, and then we look at what the Word of God says, the Holy Spirit takes what God's Word says and works it into your life. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice, it doesn't say for everything. It says what? In everything. What are we to do? Give thanks. That means that when it's the worst day of your life, what are you to be doing? Give thanks. That's revolution. I'm not trying for it, you know, dear Lord, thank you for the test. No. Life is a big enough test just in it. You go, so 
the communion over the details of life with our Heavenly Father. We do that in light of God's Word. That allows the Spirit of God to come in and allows Him to have that liberty to bring that intimate relationship that we're to have between the Father and us. Bring that into experience. That's us today. Mark 11 is somebody is, is something else. Okay. Now, we'll pick up in Mark 11. We'll finish that section out next time and see the issue of the forgiving because that issue of that forgiveness is going to be critical. So today, again, Paul asked the Lord three times to remove the thorn in the flesh. And the Lord's answer, everybody goes right to, and my grace is sufficient, but that's not the Lord's answer. It's the first five words in that sentence. And he said unto me. And he said unto me. What did he say to? Now, he did say my grace is sufficient, and that's a good answer. But what is, and he said unto me. So every prayer that we have today is answered in the word of God. We just have to do that little four-letter word we don't like. S-T-U-D-Y. Five-letter word, word, sorry. Study, okay? I was counting in my head, and that's a bad thing to do. I need to count on my fingers. All right? Okay, now we're really done. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the study. Thank you for the look into this passage in the context and Lord just look at it dispensationally and appropriately so that we would not be terrified by it and so that we can rest in your wonderfulness and rest in who we are in you and give you the praise and give you the glory in your name we pray amen